A Thai food market in a temple parking lot, a secret recipe for a famous tiki cocktail, the woman who put pot brownies on the map. These are just some of the California entries included in the new book called Gastro Obscura, a food adventurer's guide. It's from the same people from the online magazine and travel company Atlas Obscura. And they've compiled hundreds of pages of treats and places worth seeking out around the world to sample those treats. Dylan Thuris is co-author of Gastro Obscura, and he joins me now. Hi. Hey, thanks for having me here. Well, this is daunting, looking, paging huh. through this book. Oh, my gosh, you go all over the world and find all sorts of, well, frankly, bizarre, but really interesting food items and food traditions. How did you go about compiling your research? You know, so all of this goes back to our, our first book, Atlas Obscura, which was basically a, a tour through the world's most interesting and unusual places. And gastro started in much the same way, which is we have a big community of travelers and, and users of the website all, all over the world. And so we started by asking people to tell us their most interesting, but sort of little known or underappreciated local dishes, ingredients, fascinating, unusual restaurants. And so that sort of started the process. And we started sort of working through that material uh, and making our own original uh, material, writing our own articles. And then Cecily Wong, my co-author and I, then started in parallel, essentially the process of kind of mapping all of that to the world and figuring out places where we needed to dive in and do more research and find out more to try something uh, and places where, you know, there wasn't anything or, or we wanted to go and add something. And so that's sort of how the whole thing began. Yeah, and if you can't go, you can just be an armchair world gourmand. Traveler, yeah, <laughs> that's right, that's right. And, and, you know, luckily some of these things, uh, some of these things are places, right? Like like the, the Wat Thai market in California, that's really a place and to really get that experience, you need to go there. But there are other things that, you know, you can order online or find at a restaurant that serves a certain type of cuisine. So that's also how Cecily and I uh, sort of did some of our research. Well, let's talk about the Wat Thai market. It is in the Valley, and it's been there for a long time, since the 80s. Who started it? So it's it's basically this Buddhist temple. Uh, and it was started by a Thai grandmother who wanted to share family recipes with people. And over the years, it, it started in the, in the 1980s. And over the years, it's transformed into this kind of incredible food scene like it's it's one of the it's some of the best Thai food you can find in the country um and it just happens to be in front of this kind of beautiful uh Buddhist temple and so we thought that was a really unique a unique place and there's some dishes there that are also kind of unusual things like a, a crispy mussel pancake uh that you know you might actually not be able to find in an average uh Thai food restaurant I have to be honest I had never heard of it and doing an, an informal poll of people I work with, they hadn't heard of it either. Not to say that we should have heard of it, but uh, I grew up in Los Angeles and I haven't heard about it. So is it pretty obscure? I guess so, I guess so. I mean, I think that there's an interesting thing here, which some things in the book are well known to locals. We, we talk about something called Malort, which is a drink in Chicago that almost every Chicagoan knows, but outside of Chicago is almost completely unknown. I wasn't, I wasn't actually sure in a way, how well known this is, but I think now you uh, you have a good uh, place to go and, and try. Yeah, I'm excited. 
I'm very excited. Um, okay, so moving on to the, this is something I have had, the zombie, which is a tiki Ooh. cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> and this was invented uh, by a guy named Don Beach, right? He had Don the Beachcomber, this restaurant. That's right. And But he kept the recipe for the zombie a secret. And he went to these extraordinary lengths to keep it a secret. What did he do? It it's amazing. So first off, this was in, in, invented in 1934, which is, I think, earlier than people might associate with kind of tiki drinks. Um, but he's sort of the considered the father of tiki. And to keep his recipes a secret, he basically each bottle was unlabeled, but he gave it a number and he knew what those numbers meant and how to combine them. But if you walked into the bar, you wouldn't know that two was rum and four was gin. Like, so basically this was like a pretty profoundly guarded secret recipe. But in 2007, uh, a particular fan and tiki connoisseur uh, figured out the mystery. He found literally a, a like a little black book of coded recipes from Don Beach's restaurant. And then he, he figured it out. He reverse engineered. So he finally actually discovered the true, the original, the actual zombie recipe. And, and so I, I, I love that story. I love, he knew he had something good on his hands, you know, and, and they're, they're definitely, um, it's a, it's a kind of one drink night, I'd say. <laughs> Absolutely. You're good. You're good. It, it involves multiple liquors. Yes, right? indeed. Yikes. And then I guess uh, multiple headaches the next day. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. So you also talk about food in movies in Hollywood, and you talk about Foley art, which is named after a guy named Jack Foley, and Foleying is recreating sounds uh, in movies using ordinary objects. And in your examples, you have <laughs> some really interesting ones involving food. So we're gonna hear a little bit, and then you tell us what we're hearing. This scene is from. Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which opens uh, in a post-apocalyptic Los Angeles. The survivors of the nuclear fire called the war Judgment Day. They lived only to face a new nightmare, the war against the machines. Okay, so let's talk about the crunch. What is that? Uh, okay. So <laughs> it's, I gotta say it ruins it a little bit. Um, when you find out what makes that sound, because it is the sound of a foot, you know, in the, in the film, it's a foot crushing the skull. It is the sound of pistachios. It is the sound of crushed <laughs> pistachios. Uh, and when you listen to it, you kind of hear it. You're like, Oh yeah. Okay. That is, that, that definitely could be pistachios. And, it's really fun to learn this stuff. And it's a great kind of thing to share with a kid because then they can watch films and, and guess at, at what sounds, how the sounds were made. Okay, let's do a couple more. This one's from Jurassic Park. And this is when a baby velociraptor hatches from its egg. Come on then. There you are. There you are. Yeah. Oh. Is that a real dinosaur baby? Yes, that was. That was the sound of a real... No. Uh, so the the sound... There's a couple of different sounds that happen in that scene. And the sound of the egg crumbling that you hear there is none other than an ice cream cone being 
crunched and crumbled. And again, it's kind of not, you wouldn't, you'd think, well, why wouldn't you use an, and just a different egg? But what I think we expect things to sound like and what they actually sound like is often really different. And it turns out that an ice cream cone sounds like a dinosaur egg to, to us, or it does now for sure. Okay, well, let's hear it again. Come on then, there you are, there you are. <laughs> I still don't see it as an ice cream cone, but anyway. I, I, who knows? Yeah, maybe there's extra. I just extra want to believe in dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, next a scene from The Big Lebowski, and this is where uh, John Goodman lifts the Lebowski guy out of his wheelchair while the dude, played by Jeff Bridges, begs him not to. Put him down, man! Yeah, I'll put him down, dude! Okay, so, what are we hearing there? Well, there's a sound right when he picks it up, him up, and you hear this kind of cracking sound. Uh -huh. uh, that That is not uh, Lebowski's back actually cracking. That is a piece of celery being broken. And so uh, celery is actually a real go-to for the sounds of snapping bones. And what's interesting is you. it really also depends on the vibe of the movie. So celery is almost a comical kind of cracking sound. It's not very serious. You know, in something like Fight Club, they used uh, raw chicken stuffed with walnuts to get a much sort of more like, oh, like painful sound. And, and so in a way, you're trying to, you're adding tone and the feel that you're going for. And I think food is just like a really broad palette to play in. So to speak. Well, let's see yeah. that Fight Club scene you're talking about. So that's raw chicken right there, that sound. And and it's like, it's a much more unpleasant sound. <laughs> yeah, when you think of it as chicken. Yeah, oh. snapping celery is kind of a, a, a silly a silly sound and that's kind of an upsetting sound. But this is, you know, this is the work of a Foley artist. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of all things California, let's talk about weed. And one uh. of the pioneers when it came to I don't know, feeding the world, you know, of weed, is um, Mary Jane Rathbun. And she was born in 1921. And she basically took it upon herself to sell pot brownies in the 1970s, even though it was illegal to do so. Tell us more about her. You can kind of consider her like the Mother Teresa or like the Dalai Lama of pot brownies. She got into this you know, well, she was when she was already in her 50s and started basically selling pot brownies on the side. She's a waitress and and she marketed them with these flyers that would call them, you know, magically delicious and have groovy illustrations. And and of course, like the police figured this out. And so when she was 57, the police showed up and 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 basically charged her with uh, selling marijuana. But there was a lot of sort of sympathy and reporters also were sort of delighted by the story. So she ended up getting community service. And during that time, she became a, a huge volunteer. And uh, later in the in the 80s, sort of after she'd already been charged, she she started volunteering with uh, AIDS patients and specifically making pot brownies to help with pain and nausea. She baked like 
50 pot brownies every day, 1500 pot brownies a month for these patients. She was also arrested for that, but she basically didn't care. The hospital loved her. They named her volunteer of the year. And she went on doing this work. She was arrested again in 92. But but this is the thing is, is she was considered an absolute kind of saint and beloved by the, the AIDS patients and activists she, she worked with. And so um, the hospital she worked for to, made a, an official Brownie Mary Day, which is which is, uh, you know, still honored. And and I love that her name was Mary Jane because it's yeah, just I was going like, to ask you a, that. Was a, that coincidence <laughs> or did she it's, change It's truly really coincidence. I mean, the name it, it's not where the name Mary Jane comes from. It, that comes from like Maria Juana. Like it, it's uh, the, the the similarity between that Spanish name and and the word marijuana. But but it just so happens that. Um, she was named Mary Jane and became kind of the Mother Teresa of, of pot brownies. So uh, there are hundreds, I think. I didn't count them all, but it seems yes. like there are hundreds of entries in your book. Is there one that you're like, okay, I really have to go check this out? I got, yes. I, I got kind of, it's not even a, a super insane one. I got kind of obsessed with a sandwich that's made in Porto in Portugal uh, called the Francesina. Um, or little French woman. And it's just sort of the most decadent sandwich in the world. It has like steak and aged ham and a linguiza sausage in it. And then it is uh, covered in melted cheese. And that melted cheese is covered in this beer and tomato sauce and then a fried egg is put on top it's oh. the, the, the portuguese government actually came out and said basically like hold up everybody only eat like two of these a month or you're all gonna keel over but like <laughs> man i would like and it's the kind of thing that like theoretically i can make a version of it for myself but i'd much rather just wait and one day go to to porto which is the city where it's really originated from and and get one there so i'm i'm like there's a lot of things this book left me very hungry i'm, I'm ready to travel and, and eat my way across the world uh, aren't we all okay well if we can't we can just read your book and pretend <laughs> <laughs> dylan thuris co-author of the new book gastro obscura a food adventurer's guide dylan thank you Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you.